Let's pray before we go into the Word of God, and then we will, uh, we've got some work to do today. Father God, we come to you right now, and you've heard the names that have been lifted before you. Lord, we give you praise for the praise reports that have been brought for you today. Um, we just uh, we ask you to move in the situations where, where you are needed, uh, the cries that have gone before you. Father, we ask that you uh, move in our hearts right now as we explore your word. We ask that you give us humility to receive it, prepare our hearts to receive it, that it may be fertile ground. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. So if you have your Bibles, let's look at the chapter, or Matthew chapter 28. We're going to read verses 18 through 20. This should be a familiar passage to you. So let's begin in 18. And Jesus came and said unto them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I want to read a couple verses there again. Well, there's only, a few, there's only three verses, 18 through 20. Let me just read 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Huh. Now that, I just, I read that and I, it makes me wonder, have any of you ever been overwhelmed by a task? <laughs> have you ever faced a situation that you think, my goodness, <laughs> how much are you asking? Do you want to, I mean, wow, <laughs> you're not asking too much there. Is this too much to handle? You ever face a situation and you think, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can climb that mountain. Amen. Amen. Where do I even start? You ever had something come at you and you think, I'm, I don't know that I'm emotionally capable. I tell you what, I have, I have faced quite a few of those things here, here lately. Um, I can, I'm going to blame it on medication. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to blame it on that and, and my daughter going off to college. I'm going to blame it on that, too. Um, but I have had a lot of things here come at me, and I'm just a big crybaby lately. Uh, maybe it's turning 45. Maybe that's it. I don't know. Um, who knows? But, you know, the, the things come at you, and you think, I don't know if I'm emotionally capable of, of handling this, shipping my, my daughter off seven hours away, and not knowing, I mean, I've always had her right here, and now she's way over there, and I can't see what's going on, and I don't know what's happening, and, and things with, with dad's health, and, and then all this other stuff going on, and, you know, and then other things. I don't know if I'm physically capable. I remember we just got back from a ski trip, and my daughters wanted to go up to the top of them. Now, when we went on this ski trip, that was my plan. But confidence without the requisite skill is a recipe for disaster. <laughs> and my, I, I remembered when the last time that we went, I was feeling pretty good, but I was a lot younger man back then. And, um, and I thought, man, I'm going to tackle this thing. I feel pretty good about it. And the first day I realized I'm, I'm not where I used to be. And so the girls were wanting to go up and the top of the mountain and, and do some uh, daredevil things. And I thought, okay, well, I'll go up there with you. And we got up there and I had a... 
I'm not sure if I'm physically capable of handling this. I was a bit overwhelmed by it, and we got on, off the ski lift, and we're at the summit, and, you know, the, where we had been skiing, there was a whole lot more mountain up there to look at, but we get up to the top of here, and there's no more mountain up there to look at, and you're just looking down on everything, and we stood there for a good 15 minutes just <laughs> trying to psych ourselves up. I'm not sure if I can physically handle this. I'm not qualified for this. I don't have the skill and the expertise for this. And then there are other situations. I don't know if I have the disposition for this. I don't, I'm not sure if I'm emotionally disposed for this. I don't have the skill set for this. For whatever this is, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by it. Some people, when they get overwhelmed, they just they kind of dig in and they drive, it causes them to drive harder into the situation. And that's, that's just, that's destructive for them because it's destructive forces that are moving them. And, and for whatever reason, they get on a destructive path. And that's, that's all kinds of bad news because it's just a path of destruction that they go down and they just go even harder down it. But I think for most of us, when we get overwhelmed, it's like me on the top of that mountain. It just kind of causes us to deer in the headlights, you know, we kind of get paralyzed by it. Can I tell you that uh, that's often how I feel standing here doing this? I often feel very unqualified, very um, uh, deer in the headlights, <laughs> like overwhelmed, uh, standing under the weight of the Word of God, knowing how short I fall when I am measured up to it, and yet I have to stand here and proclaim the truth of it, and I feel like such a weak, unworthy vessel. I'm not telling you that so that you'll come up to me later and give me encouragement, okay? That's not the, that's not the point. Um, the point is to be transparent with you so that you have something to relate to. And it doesn't, it's not just pulpit preachers, though. You know, many Christians will feel that way in, in uh, their Christian walk and in just the experience of trying to be a Christian and do Christianity. They'll feel unqualified, feel overwhelmed in, you know, especially when we fall. And, and also with the cultural and, and societal pressures that we have on us. We feel overwhelmed and unqualified. You know, it's hard to talk to people about faith these days, especially strangers. It's hard to talk to someone you don't know about faith these days. Christianity has very quickly become a national stigma, even an international stigma. Just letting it be known that you are a Christian in your workplace and in certain social circles can have real consequences on your job these days. Especially after the events that transpired just a month or so ago. You know, now that the media have lumped all of us in with the right-wing Nazi conspiracy groups who want to overthrow government and the other crazy people who are the Jewish Holocaust deniers, you know. Um, if you're a true Bible-believing Christian, then that's, I'm sorry, but that's who you are now according to the mainstream media. So when we are faced 
with a commandment from Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and King. And we're faced with this commandment to do something bold. And it is truly bold. Like, go and make disciples of all nations. And it's interesting how they translated it there. They said, go and make disciples of all nations, not in all nations, but of. Turn the nations into disciples. Not make a few here and there, but turn nations into disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations. That might stir you in your gut a bit. It might cause you to want to shift in your chair a bit. Considering the, the world out there and the situation that we face out there, global pandemic, social and cultural climate that we face that's getting more and more hostile towards us every day, the government that used to be, I mean, somewhat almost on our side, but the balance of power has very quickly overnight shifted to be very much against us. Lies are sanctioned as truth, and if you have the temerity and the tenacity to stand up and say, no, that's not the truth, this is the truth, then you are, are punished, and you are shamed, and you are silenced in the great arena of public opinion Amen. by all the powers that can be. The Great Commission might seem like an impossible mission. And it can be overwhelming. You might feel a little like a deer in the headlights when faced with that commission. What on earth am I supposed to do with that? At the same time, you might look at your own situation and think, <laughs> it doesn't matter about all that. <laughs> Forget all that. That just ain't me. I'm not a people person. I don't talk to people. I don't do people. I'm better off. And my little, I work, look, um, I, that's, that ain't me. I work behind two locked doors at work in a concrete bunker. And that's how I like it. <laughs> you have to put forth great effort to get to me. If you want to come talk to me, it's because you really need to. And, and I prefer it that way. I really do. <laughs> Because I'm not just an overwhelmingly, uh, you know, outgoing people type person. Which is so odd that God has put me in this position. <laughs> I said, Lord, are you sure <laughs> about this? So, yeah, he puts us in places that uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. That's, that's how that goes. You may not be a people person. Say, I'm not good in these situations. I have no business going or baptizing or teaching anybody. And that may very well make you feel overwhelmed when you think about making disciples of anyone. It might interest you to know that Jesus had every last bit of that in mind when we come to Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. So let's read it again, just so it's fresh in our minds. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now we come to the Great Commission, Matthew 28. We were on our journey through our text in Matthew 16 where Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church. We took a long detour through this portion of the Scripture in chapter 28. Specifically, when we did that, we looked at Jesus' kingly proclamation that He had all authority in all of heaven and all of earth, and then He gave us this command to make disciples. This was and is His vehicle. This is His chosen apparatus for how He will accomplish the building of His church. He has commissioned us to do something that only He can do. An impossible mission for us. Make no mistake about that. It is an impossible mission for us. But with God, all things are possible. So Jesus gives this command to make disciples. And we spent a few weeks talking about a disciple maker's heart and some of the challenges that Christians face today with that. You know, the, we often don't see the harvest, and we have a, a lack of compassion. We're blinded to their desperate need, and, and so we're not moved into action on their behalf to share the gospel. And on the other side of that coin, oftentimes, you know, we, we may be moved with compassion for them, but they see us, and they don't want what we have to offer because we look too much like what they do. We look too much like the world. We don't look enough like kingdom citizens. We look too much like worldly citizens. So in verse 19, we have this command to make disciples, and there are three supporting or three descriptive commands that go around it that tell us how to go about doing the making of disciples. And we talked about the first one a couple of weeks ago when we talked about how the church is on the move. It's, it's the church on the advance. Jesus said, Go. So we are to go and take the gospel to the nations. We can't just sit around to make disciples. No one makes disciples by sitting and not doing anything. we got to go and take disciples. The second one, or the second two, are baptizing and teaching. So we're going to spend a little time there this morning. It is clear from this text that Jesus very plainly intended that it would be a rule that becoming his disciple meant, among other things, that you be baptized. Amen. In order to become a disciple, you should be baptized. Amen. That's part of the price of entry for being called his disciple. Amen. Can we agree on that? Amen. I hope so. Now the question always comes up, because everyone, well, not everyone, but a lot of people like to be nitpickers. So the question always comes up, well, what happens if you get saved and you, you die? Or you ask Jesus into your heart and then you die before you get baptized? Or do you have to be baptized in order to get into heaven? You know, there's always people looking for a technicality. And I would answer you, it depends. It depends on why you haven't been baptized. It depends. It's a commandment. 
depends on why you haven't been baptized. Is it because you are being willfully, rebelliously disobedient to the commandment of Jesus? Or is it because of the circumstances beyond your control? Is it in your heart to willfully, and are you trying, are you wanting to go do this thing? Or have circumstances prevented you from doing this thing? The thief on the cross was not baptized. And yet Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. It is a commandment that we do baptism as an open and public statement of obedience and faith. It is also a part of the process for being accepted into the body of believers. This is how it's normally seen in scriptures, and this is the example that is set for us to follow in the scriptures. Normally, church elders are the ones who do the baptizing, and that is the part of the binding and loosing that we talked about last week. It's, it really depends on the rules of the church. So it's normally the church elders. You will see pastors or church elders that do the, the baptizing. There is nothing in the scripture prohibiting any of you or any Christian who has already been baptized from baptizing other new believers. All right? The only catch is that you might run into the rules of the church. Some churches might require another baptism in order to become a member of the church. A word about that, a word about multiple water baptisms. Some people believe that there is a miracle attached to going under the water and coming back up. And some people go so far as to say that if you don't say the right words at the baptism, then it's not a valid baptism. They ascribe some kind of power, some kind of salvific saving power in the ritual and the water of going under and coming back up. Now, to this I would say that too many people have gone under and come back up unchanged. Okay? Which tells me there is nothing salvific about going under and coming back up. Also to this... Forget the experience. Let me just say what the scripture says. You are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. No mention of water. Water baptism is a commandment of Jesus as an ordinance to do. It is a commandment to do as a profession of faith, an, an act of obedience. So yes, we must do it. But the salvation happens prior to that. There's there's nothing salvific in the baptism. So, remember the binding and and loosing that we talked about? Those are the rules that the church sets. A lot of churches will set rules for joining their their, uh, congregation. And some people get real bent out of shape over this. I've dealt with this uh, with uh, other people, not, not in this church, but they've come to me and well, what should I do? Like they were baptized as a child in, in one church and grew up in that church and they get married and they move to another city and join another church and that church wants them to be re-baptized and they get bent out of shape over it because, well, I've already been baptized. But they're not saying you're not saved. They're just saying that we want, this is part of our rules in order to join this church 
we're going to do it officially here. You're going to be baptized into this fellowship. And that's just how the church is set up. I wouldn't get bent out of shape over it. That's just their rules. It, so anyway, that's, it's just you're going to have to follow the rules of the church. It's part of that binding and loosing. So Jesus commanded everyone be baptized, right? So your responsibility is to make sure that you're baptized. And to make sure that you're prepared to baptize, so that you, or that you encourage others to be baptized who are new believers. Should we, we should all be baptized. Now to the words. I believe that Jesus is saying, be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Because at the moment of salvation that the baptism is testifying to. Baptism doesn't save you, it testifies to salvation. At the moment of salvation that it testifies to, all three members of the Trinity are at work. The Father becomes our Father, the Son becomes our Lord, and the Holy Spirit indwells us for power and enabling. So there are all three at work there. So we should be baptized. We should be able to be baptizers. And again, to take pressure off of all of you, usually that's done by the elders of the church, but there's nothing forbidding you from doing that. Just know that if you're on a camping trip with an unbeliever and you guys have a gospel moment and he gets saved and you baptize him in the river, when he tries to join your church, the church may say, well, we're going to want to baptize him again. Don't get bent out of shape over it. That's just that's how the, the rules of the church go. Are we good on that? All right. When it comes to teaching, the thing to remember is that it's the best teachers that are lifelong learners. I want to take some pressure off of you there. Some people think, oh, I can't, I can't teach. I don't know it well enough myself. You don't have to be, you don't have to know it. <laughs> you just have to live it. We need to understand that we are not creators. We are duplicators. We cannot create disciples. Only Jesus can do that. We merely duplicate. We spread the truth that has been borne out in our own lives. When we live out and breathe out the truth of the kingdom of God with the reality of Jesus Christ as the center. That is, that is teaching. Do you realize that? That's like mentoring. In John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, what does he tell us in Matthew? Teaching them to do all that I have commanded you to do. In John, he says, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. We've got to walk this road too. And you know what? You're going to stumble. You're going to need his mercy. You're going to need His forgiveness. There's a reason that His mercy is new every morning because we're going to need it every morning. And I'm not making any excuses for sin because there is no excuse for sin. I'm showing you that Jesus has made a way where there seems to be no way. You wonder, how am I going to teach someone else when I'm uh, you know, all that Jesus has commanded when I can't do it myself, when I don't know all that Jesus has commanded myself? If you read a little further in John chapter 14, he tells us that the, the, the part where I'm going to be with you, where he tells us here later I'm going to be with you, this part he says I'm going to send you this comforter, and this comforter is going to remind you everything that I have commanded you. How am I going to do it? Well, the comfort I'm going to send you is going to remind you all that I've commanded you to do. 
He'll be with you, and He's going to teach you all the truth that you need to know. He's going to remind you all that I have commanded you that you need to know. The Holy Spirit, your helper, the thing that is active, the, the one that's active in you at salvation, that we're going to baptize everybody about, that you're going to testify about in the baptism, that it saves you, He's going to teach you, He's going to remind you all that I have commanded you to do. Amen. You've got to walk through that. How am I going to teach someone all that Jesus commanded when I can't do it myself? Have you ever thought that? You know what the answer to that is? You've got to walk the road with them. You gotta walk it with them. Sometimes we get so caught up in the technicals. How am I gonna disciple someone when I don't know how to do it? I'm not, I'm not good at this myself. How can I be somebody's mentor when I'm not very good at this myself? How can I lead someone in the ways of righteousness when I keep screwing things up myself? Guess what? You walk it with them. It's very telling that when Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Do you remember that? Do you love me, Peter? And what did he say three times to Peter when Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. What did he say? Feed my sheep. Now think about that. Not once did he tell Peter, teach my sheep how to feed themselves. He said, feed my sheep. So discipleship is not about knowing all the answers and then handing the answers out. Right? It's about sitting at the table together and feasting on what God has for us. Feed them. At the Last Supper, Jesus was feeding his disciples and they all ate together. The Lord ate with them. Do you see this? I mean, he's the Lord and he ate with them. Feed my sheep. Get down and eat with them. Walk it out with them. You're worried about not knowing everything? Quit it. Let me take some pressure off you. Jesus had that in mind when he said, go and make disciples, baptizing and teaching. He had that in mind. You're not going to get it all right. Walk it out with them. You don't have to know it all. You just have to be willing to walk through it and read through it and pray through it and then walk through it some more and read through it some more and pray through it some more and you have to be willing to do it with somebody else. Because you know what? The Bible says that iron sharpens iron. And finally, back in Matthew chapter 28, we come to the end of Matthew's gospel. In verse 20, he says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What a way to finish. What a way to finish. It's important to look at this impossible mission the way it began, though, in in verse 18. Would it be of any comfort if I told you that Jesus had all the extenuating circumstances that we talked about earlier in mind when he gave us the mission, when he gave you the mission. He had your personality in mind, that you're not a people person. (laughs) You know that he knew I was not a people person when he called me. 
He knew that you were going to mess up in the ways that you were going to mess up when he called you. He's the God that sees the end from the beginning and his callings are without repentance. He knew that. He knew that you would do all the stupid that you're going to do when he called you. He knew it. And he had that in mind when he gave you the mission. He had your limitations in mind. And he had everything else in mind. He had the societal upheavals in mind and the governmental upheavals in mind. He had our external and our internal challenges in mind because, again, he sees the end from the beginning. Would it be of any comfort to you if I told you that we are to do everything that we do to the glory of God? And if this were anything less than an impossible mission, then we could claim glory for ourselves. So all glory to God that it is an impossible mission. Jesus had all of this in mind when he gave us this impossible mission. If you look in verse 19, there's a very powerful word there, and we spent some time on it when we covered this passage several weeks ago. It's the word, therefore. We dare not embark on this impossible mission without this word because it would be an utter failure. It's because of this absolute authority behind the command that we are able to accomplish anything in the mission that he has given us. Again, he has sent us into the world to do something only he can do. For us alone, it's an impossible mission. Remember the language that he used when he sent the disciples out on their first mission trips? He said, I'm sending you out into the world as lambs among wolves. Do you remember that? (laughs) Boy, that's encouraging, isn't it? (laughs) He told us, in the world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have troubles. Later, Peter would tell us that after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace will strengthen and establish and, and, and confirm you after you've suffered a while. In 2 Timothy alone, just those four little chapters, Paul would instruct Timothy no less than six times to suffer for the gospel. In the same four chapters, Paul would tell Timothy four times, I am suffering for the gospel. So in four tiny chapters, forget that Paul wrote over two-thirds of the New Testament. In four tiny chapters, Paul manages to find ten ways to tell us that there is suffering happening. for the. That's going to be our experience for the gospel. My point is that the way of the cross is not easy. It's not an easy way. It's not an easy road. Not for the faint of heart. And we would be absolute failures in our mission if it weren't for the absolute authority of Jesus Christ behind that commandment that we have to go and make disciples. What utter failures we'd be. And then we have that impossible mission. There is unquestionable power behind it. Power like no other. Absolute power unquestionable authority. Every success, every advance in the kingdom is to the praise and the exaltation of Jesus' glory alone. Not ours. We can't take any credit for it. Hallelujah. Glory to God.
Here's the thing, though. What's so neat? He started that way. All, I mean, it wasn't enough to say, all, it was enough to say all power and authority is mine. But then he sandwiches it. This is the everlasting God. This is the immeasurable God. This is the unsearchable God. He encapsulated the mission from start to finish. All authority is mine, therefore go. Behold, I am with you. You will never have more power behind you, supporting you along the way. You will never have more power going before you, preparing the way. Behold, I go to prepare. You will never have more power working within you to will and to do the work on the way than when the gospel is being lived out and breathed out in your life. He said, behold. He got finished telling them all this. Go and do. Go and and make disciples, baptizing and teaching all that I have commanded. Now look. Look. I wonder what he told them to look at. I am with you. All authority, and I'm with you. (laughs) He doesn't stop there. For the long haul, I'm with you always. And if it wasn't enough to say always, he clarified how long that was. To the end of the age. Now, we don't know how long that is. He gives us a clue in Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 41. Jesus said, The end of the age is when the Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Oh, what a day. He will be with us until the very end, until every foe has been vanquished, until every enemy has been made his footstool. He is with us until death is defeated and sin is no more. He is with us every step of the way. He is with us until we shed every sorrow and our joy shines like the sun. And I want you to see just how remarkable he is. He began by saying that he has all authority. There is none who can question him. There is no one in heaven. There is no one in hell. There is no one on earth. There is none who can question him. He has all authority. Who can stand against him? There is no one who can say, I object. There is no one who can raise a question. He has all authority, and he said, I will be with you until the end of the age. I am going with you. I will walk beside you. I have gone before you. I'm on behind you. I am with you. I'm with you. Hallelujah. He would say from the very start before I tell you anything else, before I even give you the mission, I want you to know I have all authority. I want you to be very clear about this. I have all authority. Now look, here's your mission, and I'm going with you. Amen. Amen. Always. There is tremendous power, church, in spreading and doing the gospel. You'll never do it alone. Why? Because He is with you. 
You'll never preach it alone because he is with you. And you'll never suffer for it alone because he is with you. And he is with us as a body, as a church. He is with us when we move prayerfully and faithfully in his name to go out into the community to bring in the harvest. He is with us. He is with us. If God be for us, who can stand against us? God has called his people to something bold in this age. He has called us to something bold in every age. We are not the timid and the defeated. We are the redeemed. And our Redeemer is the King of the universe. All glory to God. All glory to God. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mission. And we thank you that you are the power behind it. The power in it. The power that goes before us. The power that moves within us. Lord, I pray that you embolden us and strengthen us as we go out there into the field. Father, what greater mission could you give us than to build your kingdom, than to reach the lost? Give us vision, Lord. You have given us purpose. Let us see. Open our eyes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.